You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hey there, it's Andrea Heng, and this is the Money Talks podcast, where we discuss everything there is to know about personal finance. If this is the kind of topic you're interested in, and you probably are, that's why you're here, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube Music. You'll be notified immediately when a new episode drops. And it will make a huge difference to us if you follow us. Let us know your burning questions and we'll get them answered for you. Now, let's get into some quick headlines that you may have missed this week. Hey, Tiffany. Hey. All right. So, what are we starting with? Let's start with a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, Uh how comfortable are you about declaring all your personal information to your insurance provider? I'm talking here about your income, assets and information about your dependents. To my insurance provider. You know what? I actually don't think twice about it. I probably Mm. go all out. Same. I do the same (laughs) as well because I've never considered how much data I'm giving. I always assume that this is crucial information. Exactly. That's what I think. And you're about to tell me that that's not the case. Uh, Well, that still is the case, but that may change because the Monetary Authority of Singapore is proposing to cut down the information that customers need to give when buying simple insurance policies. Oh, wow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is considered simple though? So for example, we're talking about life insurance policies, Uh standard critical illness riders that are sold with term life insurance, okay, and standalone critical illness policies. Basically, almost everything that I have. I am relieved but at the same time stupefied because I'm thinking, wow, why didn't I think about the ramifications of giving away my privacy or my data to someone like an insurance agent? Like, I would have thought that would be absolutely vital, right? Okay, so what sort of information then do I not have to reveal if this policy goes ahead. Yeah, so you don't have to reveal details like your employment status, your assets and your liabilities. But let's talk about stuff that you must declare still, right? Things like your annual income and your financial objectives. Sure. Yeah, so for anyone who's listening now, if you like the idea that insurance companies shouldn't collect too much of your data, you have until 15th March to give your feedback to the MAS. You know, this is so important, especially now in an age where your personal data might just be floating around anywhere and you don't know how safe these providers, these companies are going to be guarding your... immune to hacks, right? Exactly, Mm. exactly. Wow, this is huge. I might actually fill up that feedback form to the MES. Okay, so moving on quickly to another piece of news. Can't ignore this one. Is this... Finally, the end of the Lazada retrenchment saga. Just to prime us off, last week, Lazada and the unions representing the retrenched workers said they came to an amicable settlement. An NTUC spokesperson told CNA that union members can be assured that they will now be better off. Yeah, but here's a caveat. They didn't disclose what the final payout will look like because of a confidentiality agreement. Okay, so I guess we can just take it at surface value. That is Uh, better off. Yeah, exactly. Here's hoping that the money can still help these workers tight through at least a few months before they find a new job. I personally have a story that I will save for next week when we look at how to manage your finances if you're retrenched. Making that episode was significant for me because it made me wish that I had someone to walk me through this. Mm. But then you know what? That's what we are here for, to help you. 
every Singaporean's first bank account is one that's set up by his or her parents. And then we grow up. We strike out on our own because, you know, we want to take charge of our finances. We're adults, right? So we do what we do best. We go out. Well, these days we go online to shop around for a new bank account that best serves our financial needs and goals. But when there are so many types of savings accounts offered by so many banks, it gets really overwhelming. Well, this episode is here to cut through the noise and we're going to get help from Prashant Agarwal, CEO at Money Hero Group. Hey, Prashant. Hey, Andrea. Very nice to meet you. Likewise, likewise. Thanks for coming in. So before we begin, I'm curious, do you have more than one savings account? I do. Okay. <laughs> All right, please walk me through this. How many do you have and why? I, in fact, have three you have three savings accounts. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. And what does each one do? Look, I think diversification of accounts is important, mm-hmm. right? And I actually personally encourage that quite a bit. Okay. When I say three accounts, you're talking about one account for your everyday expenses. Sure. You're using one account for your savings. Okay. Right. Which is emergency fund. Sure. Right. And one account, which is your wealth management account, right? Which ah. is where you do most of the investments. Okay. Now, Why do I believe in having more than one account is because, firstly, it makes a lot of sense to have multiple accounts to diverse your risk. Okay. Right. You know, we know that we are all in Singapore. All bank accounts are protected Uh by SDIC and that limit is 75,000 Singapore dollars for now. But that is going to change to $100,000 starting 1st of April. Mm. Now, I do believe that in Singapore, banking system is incredibly safe. It is probably one of the safest banking systems in the world. We're glad to be here. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. We all should be very proud of the infrastructure that our regulators have created for us. But having said that, diversifying and splitting your risk Mm. is still a good idea. Okay. The second reason, I believe, is having a backup for emergencies. Now, as much as our banking systems are very stable and, you know, most of the transactions are done digitally, Mm. we have had instances where the digital platforms have gone down. Yes. Right. And we've had more than one such instances. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be in that position where you're stuck, where you need to make an urgent payment right. and, and you're unable to do that. So mm. that's another reason for that. Okay. Uh, the third one is personally for me that I'm very passionate about is maximizing my returns. Mm. Now, because there are so many options available, there are such great deals available. Exactly. You can split your money into multiple bank accounts and maximize your returns. So that, I feel, is a great opportunity not to be missed. And lastly, it just helps you manage your finances better. Personally for me, but even for the younger generation that I always talk to or I mentor, is use the 50-30-20 rule, which is use 50%, not more than 50% of your total salary in expenses, Okay. 30% in investments, uh-huh. and put 20% in savings for your emergency fund. Okay. It may be a good idea to put them in, in a separate bank account, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> no withdrawal card needed. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good move. That's a good move. I like that rule, 50, 30, 20. Okay, so as you said, right, there are so many types of accounts out there. There's a savings account, a current account, multi-currency even, fixed deposit accounts and these tend to be the most common mm-hmm. ones what's the difference between all of these different accounts I'll try and explain this in a very simple form please current account is as the name suggests it's an account you use for your everyday expenses okay 
right? Have enough money in it that you're using your transactions, your daily transactions, your inflows and outflows mm. from it. But be careful, actually, I would say in all of them that there could be minimum balance requirements, mm-hmm. right? So current account is typically used for your current expenses. Okay. Savings accounts, as I said previously, is your emergency mm-hmm. account, right? The so do you, not touch. Do not touch, right? <laughs> do not touch until yeah. you absolutely need to. Mm-hmm. And a fixed deposits, as we know, are deposits that get locked in. Mm-hmm. So while fixed deposits are a great way to earn some some income, but you know that it is not liquid asset. Right. right? If you urgently need money, you're going to lose, you're going to have to pay some penalty to break your fixed deposits. Right. So fixed deposits is, is kept quite separately. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, you have your investment accounts that are used primarily for your stock trading, for mm. your equity trading, or your other investment mm. needs. What's your take on the multi-currency accounts? Where do they fall in terms of popularity, I guess, in terms of I would say utility. Multi-currency accounts, it depends significantly on the individual needs. Okay. Now, I can talk about my own example. Sure. Right? I have lived in seven countries. Wow. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> now, of course, Singapore is home for me. and I'm very proud of being here. But that means that I do have some financial interest okay. in multiple countries. Sure. All right. So multi-currency accounts specifically for me is very, very useful mm-hmm. because I do need to transfer funds into multiple accounts. And I love to have a consolidated view right. of all my, all my expenses sure. and all my incomes. Now, I do receive some rental incomes from properties which are overseas, and mm-hmm. I would like to keep Keep them in my consolidated account. Okay. So that is one use case. There could be other use cases as well, which means sometimes you may want to just park some money mm-hmm. in a different foreign exchange account because you see that the rates are really good. Like, for example, a lot of people are now we're looking at Singapore Japanese yen or yes. even Singapore Australian dollar. Malaysian ringgit as Malaysian well. Malaysian ringgit, mm. right? So it could be a great way to make some small trades okay. for yourselves. And the difference between trading and a multi-currency account is this is your own asset. It's sitting with you. You're not speculating it on a daily basis. Right. You're Um, just parking it in there and watching it move. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So those utilities. Now, I do feel that there was another utility which is gradually going down, which was travel. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and now you have so many more options. You have travel cards, you have multi-currency travel exactly. cards, which are kind of disrupting the multi-currency account. Yeah, they uh, have. But, you know, it depends each to yourself, you know, what you, what's your spending habit, sure. what's your usage habit. There is some utility of travel okay. there as well. That's a great primer. Thanks very much for that. So I wanted to go back to history a little bit. So back in the day, it's really just a very simple bank account to what it is now where there are so many different ones. I mean, what's changed or what's prompted this emergence of having just so many accounts out there? Let me say the wealth of Singaporeans. <laughs> nice. Okay. You know, I mean, we are, we are a very... I mean, it's a real reason. Uh, it we really are a is. very wealthy country, mm. right? And at the same time, so banks see us as a very attractive market. Mm. Now, I categorize banks in four broad categories. Okay. So you've got the, the big three. Yes. The Singaporean banks. Mm-hmm. Then you have the large international banks. Yes. Right. Then you have the challenger banks. Mm-hmm. Right. These are banks which are regional banks who are trying to make a presence in Singapore and actually have seen unprecedented growth, significant growth in the recent times. I can think of a few actually. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have the digital banks. That's right. Right. The, the, the new, new kids in the block. <laughs> now, what is interesting is Each of these are looking to attract a different kind of customer. Sure. Right? Because some of the banks, like your large 
Singaporean banks may want to deepen a relationship with mm. the customer. A digital bank is looking for acquisition, mm. right? A challenger bank may want to attract you, again, from an acquisition perspective. Yes. They want to attract you or they have very, very attractive exchange rates between Singapore and their home countries. Mm. So they're all attracting different types of customers. Right. And that fundamentally means that there is something great for all of us, mm. irrespective of how much money we make, what our age is, what our financial status is. There is a great bank account available for all of us. All we need to do is make sure that we are doing our research. We understand what our financial needs are. Mm -hmm. We're doing our research. We use platforms which simplify the benefits of all these bank accounts yeah. for you, match your requirements to it, mm. and make a decision. So so we're in a very good position, actually. Yeah, we're, we're spot for choice. We're the ultimate buffet table, if I can put it that way. <laughs> all right, so what are the things that we need to think about when it comes to deciding which type of account to open? I'm thinking here the difference between function and goal. Mm. It's a really good question. Now, there are some very fundamental things that we should look at when mm. we are looking to search for a bank account. Sure. The first thing is, what is the interest rate that we're going to earn from it? Exactly, right? yeah. And especially since the interest rates have gone up, mm -hmm. there are some very attractive offers out there. The second thing is to look at fees. Okay. Right? And not be blindsided because some accounts do attract fee if you go below a minimum balance. Mm. The third one is convenience. Now, convenience can be broken down into two. The number of ATMs yes, that the bank has. Absolutely. Now, that is becoming increasingly less important for someone like me, and I think for most of us since COVID, because now we do a lot of digital payments. Yeah. Having said that, every once in a while, you do need a little bit of cash. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that the bank that you choose has some ATM coverage. The second part of convenience is the digital banking app. How yes. easy it is to use. It is so crucial, this. Exactly, because you have to make payments, you have to receive money, you have to check your accounts. So how easy it is for you to use and last and definitely not the least is the rewards and the gifts or the incentive. <laughs> I'm really curious about this angle here. <laughs> I mean obviously it's attractive to me as a customer mm. but what's in it for the bank? I mean what's the mechanism here? Try and walk me through this psychology of offering these gifts and extra rewards for signing up with them. I think it's a way for banks to attract new customers. Okay. It's as simple as that. Sure. Right. Gifts are a great way to advertise, to market a product. And it is a great incentive for a customer to make a decision. Now, I'll tell you in very simplistic form. Right. You and I are talking about it as friends. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about, yeah, we, you know, we should maybe this account, maybe that account. Let's do our research. Yeah. Now, when you see a gift, it prompts you to make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> You stop thinking, you actually act. I was like, ooh, I want that. Correct. I'll sign up just to get that. Correct. So I don't recommend people to simply pick a product because the gift is attractive. Yeah. You See, I not. wouldn't. I wouldn't either. And I'm trying to understand the psychology of the people that do. I mean, is is that what it really is? It's just trying to draw the customer to that particular product that may actually be inferior, perhaps? And I, I don't think so. I don't think that's the idea. Mm. The key objective is to make people act. Right. Right. I think rewards help people make 
the decision faster right. and act, mm. which means you don't procrastinate your decision. <laughs> okay. Right. So my recommendation always is know what your needs are, mm-hmm. right? And let's go through those. Let's sure. say in, in a bank account, what are typically your needs? Your first need is you've got certain amount of deposit. Yes. Right. That you want to park somewhere. Mm-hmm. The second is you have your salary. Yes, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah that should be credited somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you need an account to credit your salary. Yes. Third is going to be a credit card. You know, you make certain payments. Fourth is bill payments. Ah, yes. Right? You're making utility payments, telco payments, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, these four things are pretty much table stakes standard for everyone. Yeah, correct. Right? Then comes other products such as home loan, mm. right? Insurance mm-hmm. and investment accounts. Mm-hmm. Now, what banks are doing is it's very easy to understand that banks will share with you or incentivize you if they make money. Sure, of right? course. It's simple business, mm-hmm. which means the more money they make from you, the more they're willing to incentivize. Yeah, they're basically paying for your loyalty. Absolutely. Mm. So mapping what your needs are. Now, there are banks, I can tell you, which can give you about three, three and a half percent of interest on savings account simply for crediting your salary, making bill payments, and spending more than $500 on their credit card. All in one account? Just simply doing that. Right. But you also need to then see, is there a catch? It may be banks that don't have a very vast branch network Ah. or they do not have a very vast ATM network. Ah. So you may need to balance it out. Similarly, if you are someone like me who's in my late 40s, I've got a family, I've got kids. So my needs are more complicated Mm. and my needs include pretty much all seven aspects I spoke about, Correct. right? which adds home loan, my mm-hmm. mortgage, my investment account, my insurance needs. Yes. And hence, more traditional banks actually incentivize very well if you are a wholesome customer right. where you're using all the services or bits and pieces of all the services. Mm. And there are savings accounts that can give you up to 7%. You can obviously opt not to do that, right? To stay within the same ecosystem. Is there something to be said about the benefit of going to different banks for different needs? So for example, my salary is credited into one account with one bank and then my investment account is with another bank and so on and so forth. Is there any value to that as well? A hundred percent. And it all comes down to what incentives the banks are actually giving away. Mm. To give you a very, very simple example, Mm -hmm. there are banks which are simply incentivizing you for putting their money in the savings account. Yeah. And they don't expect you to transact. They don't don't expect you to put your salary credits Mm. on it, but simply incentivize you on the quantum of money that you're actually putting in. Right. Now, that is a great account for me as a savings account. Exactly. I was just thinking Perfect. that. Yeah. Right? I don't want to touch that money. Mm-hmm. It's my emergency fund. Yes. I don't want to transact. Why wouldn't I put it in a bank where I can earn a little bit of interest yes. rather than in the consolidated bank, which is not incentivizing Correct. me for it? Correct. So this is where spending a little bit of time on these platforms, learning about the options Mm. can actually save you a lot of money. And don't forget, this is 100% risk-free. Yeah. And it's not not just saving you money, it's making you money in some instance. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So you've talked about the fees and charges that need to be aware of. Can we expand a little bit more on that? What are the kinds of charges that we need to look out for when we're considering and shopping around for a bank account? The most fundamental and basic one is account fee. Okay. Now, most banks you would see will waive off the account fee Mm. unless your minimum balances drop under a certain level. Okay. So you need to be very well aware of that, 
right? So that is most basic. Okay. The other fees that comes in, and I'll move more into the wealth accounts and priority banking accounts, there is a number of fees, Ooh. right? There will be an account management fee. There could be fees on buying and selling of securities. Right. There'll be fee on foreign exchange transactions mm. um, and conversions. Now, one of the things that I've often seen is that when people go for investment accounts, they don't necessarily understand that fee structure well enough mm. because it comes in that link that comes along <laughs> with your account. It's like opening. the unsubscribe link. It's all the way at the bottom. It's buried and then you have to find and what language to. it's written in, right? Indeed, okay. indeed. And that's why, again, using platforms that are supposed to help you with this, they're platforms that are helping you simplify the understanding of that fees. But one of the simple things I'd say is call up the bank and ask them. Yeah. Very clearly. And, and they will tell you, what are all the fees that I'm paying and compare those fees as well. Mm. Now, less crucial in a savings account because mm. in savings accounts are very simple. They're it's very standard minimum, as well. Very right? standard, mm. very simple, but definitely very crucial when you go into wealth accounts or investment accounts. Okay, that's a very good reminder actually mm -hmm. for us to really ask the right questions and not just blindly sign up on the dotted line. So a big reason a lot of my peers tend to choose a particular bank is to open an account that has nothing to do with finances. And we touched a little bit on this earlier and that's convenience. My question is, how big of a factor is this when it comes to choosing an account? How important is this consideration, you know, having the range of services, the online access, etc.? I think it's very critical, right? I think it's very critical in today's world because we do need to remind ourselves that there is a functional need mm. we need to fulfill with our banks, mm -hmm. right? There is an everyday need, yeah. that everyday need of making payments, that everyday need of receiving mm. payments, of splitting bills with friends, of needing cash to make emergency payments. Mm. I think convenience plays a very, very crucial part. Where it comes down to, again, is understanding that how are you splitting between convenience and return? Exactly. Right? Yes. And that's where I would go back to splitting my money into multiple accounts mm. to say there are accounts which are paying me a higher return, but I have to sacrifice convenience. I'm going to put in my emergency funds there. I'm not going to put in my daily usage funds. But if for my current account usage, for my daily usage, convenience does play a very critical part. So one of the things that I would do, because I look at my bank accounts on an annual basis, right? I would review and I would yeah. see whether I have the right accounts. Am uh -huh. I making the best decisions? Uh -huh. And I would open the account. I would try out the online banking. Right. Right. And the convenience factor, especially around how easy it is for me to transfer funds in and out of the banks, mm. how intuitive it is for me. And I have had instances where I didn't like the online banking and I actually cancelled my account. Wow. And, and, I, and I called up the bank and I told them, I said, look, I'm, the only reason I'm cancelling is I actually don't like the interface. I don't find it useful for me. Yes. And hence, I, I don't think it serves my purpose. Wow. So you have actually cancelled accounts because you just did not like the way it worked. Yeah, absolutely. I have. I think that's a valid reason to leave the bank in that respect. And along the same vein, then... Is the reputation of the bank equally important here? Because I'm thinking about the emergence of digital banks, right? With the emergence of digital options now, I'm thinking about the reputation of a bank and how credible and crucial it is when making that decision because I'm not just putting in $50, $100, $1,000 in there. I'm talking about 
copious amounts of money. Yep. I think in that aspect, we are quite fortunate that the MAS as a regulator is very, very stringent, mm. right? And it is one of the best regulators across the world. So I think two things there. One, the very fact that these financial institutions are licensed mm-hmm. by MAS gives us a lot of credibility. Mm. So personally, for me, I don't feel that my money is at risk. Right. Right. Secondly, the SDIC, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. that all our money is guaranteed up to $75,000 or, or $100,000 uh, from 1st of April. I think that is a reasonable amount of insurance. Now, while we have seen big banks collapse in in the US, we saw in Europe, Mm -hmm. in Switzerland recently. While I don't expect any of that such thing to happen in Singapore or actually in most parts of Asia Mm. where banking systems are pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it gives me a lot of credibility that MAS is very stringent. It's very stringent in giving digital banking licenses. It's very stringent in the ongoing compliance and regulation that everybody has to deal with and abide by. And that gives us a lot of confidence. Mm. So I think we can be not careless, but absolutely go for the features. And I have a lot of trust in the system. You know, you're right. You're right in saying that by virtue of the fact that it's very stringent rules and regulations mm-hmm. to manage any risk to customers, it really makes us spoiled for choice. Like it we does. have <laughs> the uh, we have the opportunity to, for the lack of a better description, play around and experiment with different types of accounts, including digital banks. So my final question then to you is: While we're on the digital vein here. Mm-hmm. Is there a need then for digital wallets and investment accounts and platforms like Stash or Scythe or Endowers when banks these days have offered the very same functions? Do we Um, need one then? I would always say that we always need more products, right? Why not? Interesting. Why not? Right? Because as consumers, we should have more choices. The more choices we have, the better decisions we can make. So I welcome competition. Mm. I think competition is great. It is healthy. Let's not forget that a lot of traditional banks have now improved their platforms because of the challenges. Ah, right. That's a way to look at it, yeah. Okay. I mean, for years, they were <laughs> dormant. I mean, I don't know, refresh my memory, but biggest breakthrough in technology in banking before the digital banks was what? ATM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and then when digital banking came on our phones, we're like, wow, I can do this on my phone now. Correct. And then all these other options came up. All these other functions were introduced by competitors, as you said, and now they're giving the big banks a run for their money. And I think as a consumer, I love it. As a business owner, I love it because I want that innovation to continue. This will push the innovators to innovate even further, mm. which will push the traditional banks to follow suit sure. and maybe even try to beat them in some aspect. So why not? But don't you think, though, that it'll lead to option paralysis for consumers? Well, that's where we come in. That's where businesses like ours really come into picture because our job is to make financial decisions easier for Mm. people, to see through all the complexity and help people make decisions based on their specific needs. Mm. So I think as long as platforms like these exist that can help people make decisions, 
the choices are good. All right, and that's exactly what you've come on the Money Talks podcast to do, and you've done a very good job of it. I might add, Prashan, we're so glad to be able to have you break this down for us. Thank you so much for coming on the Money Talks podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you had fun. Thanks. A big thank you to you too, listener. If you liked this episode, you know, show us. Leave us a comment or a rating on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, if you want to find us, in case you don't know, we're streaming on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well as YouTube. For Money Talks, the team is Joanne Chan, Tiffany Ang, Crispina Robert, Saya Wint. I'm Andrea Heng. 